Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. For this week's Church Times, we asked Sam Wells, the Vicar of St Martin in the Fields in London, to interview Neil McGregor, the former director of the British Museum. They spoke about Neil McGregor's latest landmark Radio 4 series, Living with the Gods, which has just opened as an exhibition at the British Museum. An edited transcript of the conversation is published in this week's paper, but we're also devoting this week's podcast to a recording of the entire conversation. We're sure you'll agree it makes for fascinating listening. If you don't already subscribe to the Church Times, do visit churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe for all our latest offers. Well, tell me about this word religion. Is there something that combines everything from a, um, a, a large uh, televangelist in Atlanta through to uh, figurines in caves in, in France going years, years back uh, to, to, to many, many centuries back uh, and, and then on to, uh, shall we say, Eastern Orthodoxy today or, or, or the Copts in Egypt? Is, is there something that unites all these phenomena? I think so. I and mean, what we're trying to do in this series, obviously starting with the things, but is to look at what people do in the context of an agreed narrative about their place in the cosmos. Because every society that we know of constructs or is given some sort of narrative and then ritualizes it. Mm. And it's the ritualizing of the narrative and the objects used in that that are of interest to us. That's the only bit we can look at. So not obviously the, the particular theologies or the mm-hmm. beliefs, but the fact that the what is in the word religion we talked about is precisely I mean the, the the origin of the word that what we're looking at are processes through which communities have strengthened themselves. And that in two areas. I mean, firstly the focus on the community as in itself something sacred which is a regular phenomenon. The divine can only occur in a place where all the community is present, which seems a very widespread idea and articulated in interestingly different ritual ways, but also the need to have some ritual narrative of the community going on, the life of the community going on, though the life of the individual doesn't. And how you square those two things, just as it's said that all mathematics comes from trying to square the cycle of the sun and the cycle of the moon. Um, Mm. What this is about, I think, is squaring the life of the individual, which is finite with the life of the community, which continues. Which they hope will continue. Which they hope will continue. Turns out not to in most cases. And which is the which and the 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 main point of the ritualizing. Uh, is to ensure the survival of the community, which is why it seemed right to begin in the Ice Age with a community on the edge of subsistence where a huge amount of resource is devoted to producing an object which has no practical benefit of putting food on the table and can only have been worth doing because it allowed the community as a community to be something that it couldn't otherwise. To use company speak of today, it was about the long-term strategic goals, not the short-term tactical. Exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and about team building. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, I suppose in that sense, religion is a, is a kind of permanent team building away day. Yes, yeah, <laughs> what a wonderful company to be. That you bring into daily life. So uh, one thing that interests me about that is that uh, when, when people, particularly in the 19th century, begin to envisage that it would be possible to live without religion, whether that's not, or we might come back to that, but um, the panic was that public morality would, would go down the plug hole. Uh, but what you've described, in a sense, as setting a, of a communal vision and, a, and an affirming of, a, of an identity um, and, and sources of, of trust and, and so on, that doesn't necessarily connect with a particular ethic. I think that's. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that's a really the, the critical question, and because the nineteenth and the early twentieth century posed the question in that way, I think a lot of the argument has. Has, has missed the main point. Much more interesting to me in that debate is Eamon Duffy's stripping of the altars, that what the imposition of the Reformation, the way it was imposed in England, did was not, of course, to put in question public morality, but to shatter communal societal structures. Mm. And that's why it was so resented and so disrupted. And to try to live without some kind of ritualised narrative it's not that people will behave immorally, but it's not they will lose an opportunity to affirm community. And that's what I think is that's why I think it's such an important question today that the debate for most people in the world today, most people in Western Europe, religion is mumbo jumbo with occasionally people blowing others up. Yes. Yeah, uh, or the other way around. Or the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and the it's very what we're hoping to look at in this period is the fact is the the other aspect of all this that why people care about this so much why it matters why it is your identity and why it becomes central is because it is what holds your community together as a community so and to lose that is to lose your identity so can i just try and experiment you know a thought idea with you that that actually the reformation uh, if you perceive that to mean the printing press that enables people to have the Bible in their own hands and therefore have access to God without the community actually is the beginning of the destruction of the communal uh, essence of what you're describing. It certainly can lead to that atomizing, and I think it's why one of the things we're looking at in the series is I think that Luther astonishingly was very quickly aware of that and the whole invention, if you like, I think the, 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 the fact that right from the beginning he brought in communal hymn singing, uh -huh. which is right. the great Protestant the community policy. building. <laughs> yes. And yeah. what I think is really interesting about that is that it does stop that atomizing, because what it means is that the community acts as a community when it's together, but because you all know the hymns and the tunes and you've got scripture that rhymes and has rhythm and tune, you carry it around with you in a way that was entirely desirable, but you also share it with the community and you can either sing it together or you can sing on your own. And the perfect example of that is, of course, Amazing Grace, which is in one of the programmes. When Uncle Tom is alone and in prison, 
he sings Amazing Grace because that makes him again part of the community with which he had sung it. And I think the, 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 the very interesting phenomenon of communal singing as the, I think, the instinctively understood need to build the community. What we compare that with in the series is the idea of the orthodox icon, uh, something like Our Lady of Kazan, where, of course, the whole point of that image is not that it should be in any way original, that the artist should say anything new, but that that particular lesson of the incarnation of the child able to teach what it means to be a helpless child, that when you look at that image, you know, praying at home, that that same image in the same form is being prayed to, has been prayed to, by millions. So although you're on your own praying, you are part of a community. And I think that's one of the things we've tried to look at all the way through, these extraordinarily successful devices of the community hymn singing, the standardised orthodox icon, uh, the turning to Mecca, mm. these different devices of creating communities even though people are engaging on their own with God. That's one aspect of the community which things let you look at very interestingly. The other is how you physically articulate that. The Durga Puja, the image of the goddess Durga, has to be made by the whole community with earth from all over the village, a bit of mud from the Ganges, but mud, earth from the rich and the poor, all in the statue. And only then, only then, can the goddess come into the statue. Yeah. Only when the whole community is present in the thing oh. can it be inhabited by the divine. And that's a wonderfully powerful image of what the whole series is really about, that these are narratives of a cosmic story, cosmic vision of a moral order which can be given this physical expression it can really be achieved only in the community so could you say in a specifically christian theological frame of reference could you say in relation to the durga that the, the body of christ is well, certainly the kingdom of god but but perhaps more provocatively the the body of christ is something that that needs to be discovered and created rather than as a sort of static thing one simply finds oneself in through baptism. I think that's one of the interesting things about the way the rituals have developed in Christianity is that baptism is of course uh, seen as essential to orthodox to, to mm -hmm. Christian orthodoxy that it only happened once. Mm. So renewing yourself is much more, you can't use that ritual of water to renew yourself the way you can in Hinduism, for example, mm. or to some measure in Islam. Well, a Mennonite so, would probably say that foot washing is the way you renew. Exactly, but it, is, but, which is a, a communal which is a communal activity. But, but most, the agree, has lost most, that. most of the church has lost that, and quite deliberately lost, as we as we as we know. Uh, but the idea that the body of Christ needs to be recreated mm. uh, before it can be shared in. 
I guess that's, uh, is, that's is, what is, the sharing is, of the peace is, is, in is, the is, newer is, communion is, is about. So yeah, the, the sharing of peace becomes that before going to the table. You become the body before you go to the table. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's it's a it's quite an abstract ritual. Uh, I think in in terms of of that idea of the the community being inherently divine or the divine being never in the individual but only in the community yeah I mean that's what is so interesting in so many of these affirmations like and what the Durga does for the Hindus the holy fire does for the Zoroastrians where the fires from all over the community have to be in the holy fire that idea that the individual or one bit of society can't be wholly on its own <laughs> can't be the, yes. the divine will, will the divine inhabits only the community well again and, and, and that's focused again in a, in a Christian um, uh, denominational and liturgical frame of reference by the question of when when were you saved were you saved the day that I accepted the Lord Jesus as my saviour in other words, you know, shall we say, 10 years ago, were you saved 33 AD on the cross, or were you saved when the priest broke the bread and said the words of invocation? It's the same kind of question, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And at what moment that, at what moment you are reconciled to God and to the community? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which are, I think in, in Christian terms, the closely connected obviously it's in love and charity with your neighbours is the precondition of reconciliation to God in the same way so it's, it's, I think those ideas are very I mean, they are of course found how what we've been looking at is how those ideas are ritualised and expressed and actually what you can understand about the idea of course by looking at different ones and it's the point of a collection like the museums is to oh. let you look at your own tradition more insightfully because of seeing how other religions have addressed the same question. And to what extent uh, is, are the, the symbols linked to uh, either the cycle of the, the harvest and the, and the year, the, you know, the production of food, uh, or to the, the particular threats of flood or, or water? How, how tied in is uh, are people's religious motifs to the actual survival? It's, as you'd expect, the forms in which the insights are ritualised depends inevitably on the, on the, the local circumstances. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions we've been looking at is the relationship to other animals. What does it mean to kill other animals for food? Mm. And of course, the Abrahamic tradition, particularly the, the the Jewish scriptures, the words spoken by God to Noah and the animals when they get off the ark is chilling, <laughs> and all shall be meat for you. <laughs> Give them into your hand, and they will live in you, the dread of you. Mm. Um, it's a very extreme position. <laughs> Um, and we begin with that and then look at what happens in, the, in, in Alaska where people depend on the seal mm -hmm. and the knowledge that you are dependent on the animal that you have to kill mm -hmm. is not, I think, 
ritualized or acknowledged as a central truth or question in the Abrahamic traditions in the same way. But in the Alaskan people, the Yupik, uh, it is. And you have to, as many hunting peoples, you have to honor the animal you kill because otherwise it won't agree to be killed. Yeah. And that you are dependent on this animal. And the notion that Abrahamic dominion can be quite otherwise ritualized as dependence mm. and interdependence is, I think, something that we need to address a great deal. If, we've, if we compare the Abrahamic one, the Yupik in Alaska with the seal, how you have to revere the seal and because it will tell other seals how you treated it. And of course, if they don't come back, you will die. So compare that tradition, but also um, comparing animal sacrifice in Greece and Rome. Yeah. We all think of the great Greek temples as shining white buildings with philosophical figures fluttering around. Um, but in fact, of course, the front of most Greek temples was an abattoir and what it means to kill the animal you can argue and many do that that ritualizing of the slaughter of the animals is a recognition of what it means to take life and it should only be done in the face of the divine as a communal act in which everybody shares and then you all eat together and that that is the only proper way to kill the meat you decide you need. And lots of evidence of that, of course. I think that these kind of questions are very important ones for a wider kind of ethic today mm. about the relation to the animal world, to the natural world. Um, there's nothing particularly original about it, but the objects from the museum uh, make you make it easier to grasp what's going on. The, to go back to Alaska, one of the ways in which you reverence the seal is that you have to use every part of an animal you kill, because otherwise you've no right to take its life. Mm. And the ingenuity with which <laughs> the different parts of the animal are used, and it's not just the necessary frugality of a poor people, mm. It has a, a, an ethical dimension. Mm. Well, if we, if we, um, I, well, just staying with that for a bit, because I think we've got we've got time to stay with that for a bit. The the the, I mean, some people say about the Old Testament that that you know the big transition comes between the first five books and, and Joshua, where you're you're really talking well, certainly from Exodus onwards about a a, a nomadic people, who are dependent on their animals. And then you transfer from judges onwards into an agrarian people, and and most of the anxiety about idolatry starts to kick in at the point where it, it seems possible to imagine the cycle of the year continuing w without somehow quite the same degree of dependence on God. Uh, do, do you think you can you can see that difference between nomadic and agrarian? As a, as a generic thing that goes across other traditions? The, uh, <laughs> I'm on very thin ice here. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, indeed. Uh, I think you could argue that 
nomadic hunting people, nomadic people or hunting people, are, of course, they can move when there are climatic disturbances. Yeah. So in some ways they're less dependent yeah. because they can follow the animals. Agricultural people are mm. entirely dependent mm. on drought or flood. Um, that is life where they can't move. Yeah. Uh, so I think the dependence grows and becomes other, becomes much more meteorological, if mm. you like. Um, and the 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 need to work with the natural cycle takes on a different dimension of how you need to work with the, the water and the land mm. um, in a different way. Uh, what is, again, one of the regular things is, of course, once you get to a certain latitude, the importance of the return of the sun and the seasons and the dependence on mm. that. And that, of course, is where the contrast between the life of the individual and the life of the community becomes yeah. very, very clear. Yeah. And perhaps clearer to an agricultural society. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. uh, a nomadic society don't see their food supply disappear <laughs> and then return. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it necessarily poses itself in different terms. Now, the, the backdrop to the series and the exhibition is, it seems to me, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the sense that we live in a, in a country and in a, at a time when we think we've outgrown religion. Uh, and, and therefore, the assumption that this is something that would exist in a museum and we say, ooh, ah, isn't it funny the strange people used to do these things. Uh, but it seems to me the underlying argument of what you're saying is that um, we, well, it, it goes in two directions, I think, as I understand it. First of all, that uh, we we can't, I mean, or, or if we're trying to do something, it's something that no one's ever tried to do before. And it's interesting to see why. Uh, but also that in the absence of what we acknowledge as public rituals, we other ones just grow up in their place, is that, is that fair? I think I would start somewhere else. Um, the the starting point from the museum, why we began when I was still at the museum to think this was a topic to address, was that the purpose of the museum from its foundation has always been to look at how societies function and to enable the citizen to think differently about the world now. And the that's why we thought it was important to do something on Germany mm. or on Iran uh, to understand better how those countries see themselves. Uh, the starting point for this was that you can't now hope to understand what is going on in the world unless you understand or think about the question of why religion has such a political force. Why does it matter enough to most people to become <clears throat> such a, a powerful force in politics. And that's really the question about this whole series. Mm. Why, do, why, does, why, do, why does religion uh, matter so much? We can't address the theologies because we're not equipped to, but so we're looking at the what people do. Mm. Religion not as what people believe, but what they do. 
and how that doing, the believing, is about the belonging, but mm-hmm. what they do, not what they believe, what they do. Um, the connected to that is a question, I think, about the attempt of the Enlightenment, and particularly the French Enlightenment, to separate the religious life from the political. Mm-hmm. The notion that those two were separable. Um, we know in England, from 16th century on, how extraordinarily difficult that was, and in both England and Scotland, it, the decision was taken not really to push it to the end. <laughs> we still yeah. remain with an established church in both yeah. countries and so on. Um, but the thinking has been that somehow political life is separable from a religious life. For most of the world, that is simply not true. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be the case in Europe, and I think particularly because of the Holocaust, because of the, particularly because of the Second World War, it seemed that religion was such a that these were issues best left out of politics altogether. I think we can see that if we, that's clearly not the way most other people think. And we need to try and understand why that. So it's really about questioning that enlightenment assumption that you can separate believing from belonging, that you can separate religious structures from the political ones. This is acute in France particularly, and that's why I think France, above all, has problems like the Burkini, yeah. <laughs> which we're looking at in the, in, mm-hmm. in the series. Um, uh, but it's a Western European phenomenon. The Americans, because they began on a different basis yeah. of religion at the heart of the new country, mm. but a private yeah. <laughs> phenomenon, uh, their, their evolution has been quite different. Europe, in Europe, all the, all the nation states grew up out of a culture that where really the two were together until they were severed in the 17th or the 18th century. And what happens to a society that thinks it can keep them separate? Well, the, the societies that have tried officially to abolish religion, like France in 1793, mm. like the Soviet Union, mm. we know it, in both cases they replaced it effectively by religion of the state. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the, the state in some form or another or the leader of the state became the religion mm. many would argue that of course nationalism stepped into the space that, from which organised religion had mm. been expelled and took over the same rituals with mm. festivals, songs, hymns uh, days of the year where you gathered um, uh, and interesting because yeah. we haven't done that uh, we don't have national festivals in the same way. Um, and I think that is clearly very difficult for truly secular societies, the way since ours is in many ways becoming, to know what its shared festivals are. Yeah. And Christmas is very interesting in the way it has, I think, uniquely remained the one moment where the community thinks of itself as a community where everybody would acknowledge that part of that is about thinking about the poor, the weak, the destitute. And that is articulated through some kind of celebration. But yes. it's almost the only moment of the year as a nation 
where the whole nation pauses to think about all parts of the community and the obligations that should bind mm. it. Yeah, but we have we have sport. We have sport. I mean, exactly. The, it the, seems that the, the and sport is, of course, the other. And it's no accident that the the, the Republican France very specifically promoted sport as the Sunday activity. Yes. And it, it has, of course, got a great deal of this. It binds people together. But, but where, you know, should, perish the thought, but should we not qualify for the Football World Cup one, one, one four-year cycle? It's not just the sense that our footballers aren't as good or speculation about too many foreigners in the Premier League. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's somehow almost like a ritual sacrifice that didn't work. it's because it's supposed to bring the country together and it's supposed you know this kind of thing people flying flags outside cars and all the sort of things that go on during sports tournaments uh and and the olympics in some but the olympics somehow has an ideal in the way that the football world cup doesn't have an ideal has a flame you know it has it's ritualized uh, much more. Do, do you want to say a bit more about about well, whether the sport is an alternative? The difference between is what the is that the the religious rituals that have evolved uh, almost always involve giving. They're always mm-hmm. about sharing, mm. um, and there's also a private. I mean, almost all religions have a balance between the private individual activity which is nearly always about giving um, or silence and engagement, and then the communal festival act. Right. Sport mm-hmm. doesn't have the first <laughs> half of that, no. which is why it's a very powerful force, but it's not, it doesn't achieve that same thing of tying the individual yeah. daily life it, it's a spectacle, into the communal. It's a but spectacle. it doesn't have an ethic. You're not a participant. A, and yeah, the great point about the festival yeah. And the great point about all the mm. religious rituals is why it's about what people do, <laughs> um, is that in any religious, any belief system, the individual has to keep doing things. It's not just spectating. Yes. Uh, uh, Terry Eagleton would say that that uh, that um, religion is replaced by culture. I mean, that's what he what he describes, and he you know vivi- quite vividly describes how that how that happens. And of course, as a as a Catholic, he's pretty scornful of it. Would would, would you um, would you talk a little bit about culture in that sense? There's probably no one better place to do so than you. The difficulty with one back with two. Mm. The one of the problems about the debates about religion in Western Europe has, of course, been the political engagement of especially the Roman Catholic Church mm. through the centuries. And particularly in the 19th century, the apparent alignment of the Roman Catholic Church with the oppressive powers uh, of the possessing classes. Mm. And that has made the debate in Western Europe, I think, different, radically different from the United States mm-hmm. or elsewhere. In the world. And I think we still have to live with that, with that inheritance. The, 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 the organised Christian church in Western Europe has on the whole a poor record of uh, thinking about the weak mm. and the destitute, um, Church of England as well, over the, over the centuries. A poor, on the whole, uh, 
so I think the one of the problems for Western Europeans about thinking about religion is that inevitably what they are thinking of is the role that organised Christian oh. churches have played. Culture, I think, has a lot of the same difficulties as sport. It is in many ways a spectator, uh, uh, spectator activity. Okay. Uh, Theatre is obviously like a football match. You go with other people and mm -hmm. it's being with other people that gives you the enjoyment. Again, what is lacking in it is the, the, uh, the act of giving. Okay and the, the, the regular element of, of, of giving. And I think that's the, the distinctive nature, I think, of, of the two sets of practices, um, is about the giving, and indeed in all of them, the notion of some kind of sacrificial giving. Mm. And are there instances where you have that sacrificial giving without the public spectacle? Or is that, is that the direction which we're heading? Sorry, I just, uh, where, where, where you, uh, I mean, we've talked about culture and sport both having the public spectacle without the, the giving, but, but are we heading towards a place where we, it's the other way around, where we were actually, you know, real religion, if you like, true religion, as, uh, as the letter of James calls it, uh, becomes uh, that sense of giving, that sense of mutuality, of respect, of honouring one another. But separated from any public recognition ritual I, that validates I it. I don't see why that should be the case. I don't think that is the case um, because any kind of public gathering, uh, particularly any kind, of, any kind of public gathering in a temple or a mm -hmm. mosque is in a sense a ritual mm -hmm. and, a, and a public one. I mean, what I mean is, is that as a, as a, as a society, if, if Britain is the society that thinks it's kind of about growing religion or associates it with either nonsense or violence, um, I suppose I'm getting towards the what the spiritual but not religious sort of place. Uh, yes. What, what does, does that actually involve giving itself, or, or is that another wrong turning? No, I think it's. Uh, I think it does involve giving. The what's again? What is um, what? What is missing? I think in the culture analogy. To go back to that, I think mean, is there's the sense of the whole community having to be present before this can work, yeah. and it's what's missing in the sport yeah. analogy yeah. as well. The the point of all the articulated traditions that I know of, um, I mean whether written or not, is that the whole community has got to be part of this. So that um, uh, sense you get in uh, what is the up up Heliar yes, traditions yes. in in um, yep. in Orkney. Orkney yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. The whole community has to be there, and yeah. um, and that's what's um, I mean, where where and that's why I think the Eamon Duffy mm. question about us now. I mean, this is not a violent removal of those societal structures it was in the 16th, 17th century, but they are dissolving because of the loss of religion mm. and where the division of our society into groups of like-minded people uh, is clearly one of the one of the problems that we face mm. there are fewer settings in which you can credibly meet regularly on a basis of equality people from very different worlds mm. and particularly from very different social and economic 
backgrounds. That's that sounds like a bleak prognosis. I don't know. Uh, mm. Human societies have, on the whole, rather an impressive record mm. <laughs> of uh, finding mm-hmm. uh, solutions to to, to, to to problems, and the if, if one has any uh, any belief at all um, in 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 the power of God, then and the Holy Spirit, then the, one has to be optimistic. Mm. That the Holy Spirit will see in this, or will the, that this working with the Holy Spirit can can come to something. I don't see why it should be a bleak prognosis. Mm. Could, um, but I think it's it's a, what I what I would like to know is really one of the points of doing this is of a debate about this, whether that diagnosis is a credible one. Yes. That yeah. why this matters in our country is not because of any danger of moral collapse. Mm but of societal fracture, yeah, fragmentation, not fracture, societal fragmentation. Um, As they say on the Today programme, the listeners will want to know, (laughs) um, which is uh, when they're asking a question that they they feel is only just legitimate. (laughs) Um, From your own faith perspective, are there are there parts of this? I mean, it has has making this series and putting this exhibition together helped you identify where your own, you know, um, convictions, gut places of um, comfort, certainty um, lie. I mean, has it clarified for you what what your own religion? is really about yes it has um and i mean i've i've always had difficulty with articulating particular firm beliefs mm-hmm. but the what it's confirmed to me is or what it's clarified to me is that what i value in the the the, the christian tradition in this country is that insistence on the whole community being part and mm. the privileged place of the of, of of those who in social terms are weak the privileged place of the weak and that mm. the need to construct communities where everybody is present yes uh, so it's yeah. it's really about i suppose what it's uh, is the, the 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 exhausted word would be inclusion the completely exhausted uh, word. Completely exhausted, which, which I don't really care what to use. Yes. Um, but that notion that you can only have a functioning community, you can only do, you can only really do good things if the community is defined in a way that includes everybody. Yes, I can think of a couple of occasions when that's really come alive for me. Uh, one was when I was training for ministry in 1990, 91, something like that. Um, and the first Iraq war, as we call it, I guess it wasn't the first Iraq war, but we call it that, <laughs> uh, started. And somebody in the seminary went out of their way to go and fetch an Iraqi family and bring them into the worship uh, in a sense to, 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 to achieve just what you've described that the whole community came together we didn't know how to feel or think about what was happening we we were anxious and uh, dismayed um, but somehow 
uh, having the Iraqi family with us helped us recognize that uh, you know as in as in the old breakfast thing we were involved by by giving the the egg and they were committed by giving the bacon you know they 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 you know for them it was existential and that was one occasion another occasion was probably here at St St Martin's the Sunday after the Brexit vote having people you know from various countries uh, in worship on the Sunday morning for whom again the the question of whether that their future in this country was suddenly uh, in jeopardy and and yet I, I felt just as I had felt you know 25 years previously I didn't know what to think or feel but I wanted to be with my brothers and sisters in worship and, I, and, and, and more or less everybody was feeling the same and those were both very powerful occasions I think of the public event but also the the sense that um, there were people at the heart of it for whom it, it who were vulnerable who were needing to be included to use this yes I mean I think the the other thing that has become clear to me it's very obvious of course but that the that notion of a community involving everybody is hard if it's defined in terms of a set of beliefs which have to be assented to before you can join the community, yeah. which is why I think our the question for Britain at the moment is, in religious terms, a complex one, because although there are many faiths which would articulate a very similar view of how a community ought to operate, each one of those faiths has a doctrinal yeah. entrance requirement. Mm -hmm which makes it very difficult for any of them to embrace the whole community. And it's a very obvious fact, but it's a bigger social challenge in Britain than for any other European country because we have a bigger range of faiths, a greater diversity of faiths in large numbers than any other European country, which mostly have simply, mostly dealing with one or two or three. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that is this. This is where I see the real challenge: that those ideals, which explain why religion matters so much to people all around the world, they 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 make living in a multi-faith society particularly complex. And that I think is one of the that's the question we have to yes. struggle with. Well, what are the where, where where do the poor? How do the poor Muslims? How do the poor Hindus? fit into a St. Martin's notion of Christian embrace. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I can imagine the answer to that would, would need to be that we develop traditions by which two or three times a year we have occasions that are incomplete without their presence or which require us to go and be with them. All of which is happening, of course. I mean, none of this, yeah. and so that, this is all very banal. Yes. But you asked me what's become clearer to me in yes. the process, and that yeah. that seems to me to become the the most uh, a really burning issue. Now, how does one articulate that? I mean, what is the proper relationship between these communities? Most of which share very comparable ideals. But how do you mm. get the get those mixed communities to work together? Uh, I guess it's impossible to have a conversation like this without mentioning the internet um, I, I, and the internet is a kind of second revolution beyond the reading revolution of the 15th, 16th centuries uh, and now it's possible to have, you talked about communal hymn singing and things 
now through technology you can have a kind of virtual communal hymn singing which <laughs> actually still leaves you alone as a uh, as a as a as a body in a in a room i think that's the point that yeah. all what's why the all the traditions have of course also got physical disciplines start from that we've got bodies yes and uh at an individual level the physical discipline of praying yeah. uh whether it's the rosary or whether it's the muslim salat or whatever um all the traditions have evolved uh, Buddhist, perhaps above all, in terms of breathing, about the physical body. Mm. And that's true of the individual opening themselves, preparing themselves for contact with the divine. Uh, and different, and again, that's where things are very, what, rather fascinatingly. You can only move into the immaterial realm in most traditions mm. using an object, using things, focusing on your body, it's very paradoxically. Yes. You focus on the body to move from the body. You use a thing like the rosary uh, to move beyond the thing. And that's that materiality of us is, of course, not present in the internet and can't be. And it's very, it's very symbolic and, and evident that it's the kiss of peace that matters. You touch the person next yeah. to you. I mean, that is what makes the body of Christ, yeah, yeah. Um, and the it's it's distressing if people don't want to be touched <laughs> in any yeah. way, yeah. The and and so uh, that physicality is part of community. Yes, but then that raises another question. So there's obviously a problem with internet-only religion because <laughs> it contradicts almost everything you've described. But but re internet does make something possible which in a sense gives us a problem we didn't used to have which is what are our gift obligations to people that we can't be physically we can't physically touch but whose plight we we know all about and therefore can't ignore that becomes and and what uh, to what extent is it possible to imagine a spectacle that embraces you know, a crop beyond what one can physically, uh, you know, a, a crowd of 100,000 people that one can, in theory, physically touch, but takes us to something that is a, uh, you know, a global, perhaps, phenomenon. Um, that that creates a kind of moral pondering we never used to have. Yes, I mean, the notion of what is the community has obviously mm. become a, a very different one. And there are real, real communities sustained and uh, and managed by internet by remote communication mm. and the the new pattern that thanks to FaceTime or whatever you can live simultaneously in two mm. communities mm. has clearly completely transformed the notion of migration where you no longer need to leave behind mm. the community you have left behind and you can still live in it and eat with it mm. uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And we, we haven't yet, I think, begun to, we haven't been able to work to what that means. Oh. Um, but it is, uh, it's a big problem, but I don't think it is, it's not, I don't think it's very different. I think the, 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 the gaps, the fragmentation 
here have changed more than the proximities yeah. through yeah. technology have grown. That's it for this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find lots more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website www.churchtimes.co.uk. If you're not yet a subscriber, why not take a look at our latest introductory offer? One month of our digital package and five issues of the paper for just £5. Go to www.churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. The music, as always, was by Sort After Sounds. Don't forget to tune in next Friday for our next episode, and thanks for listening. Thank you.